Lord, this morning we come hungry again for what you alone can give, and that is for yourself. We have found in Jesus Christ the meaning of life, and we want to capitalize totally on what that can mean for us, but then we also want to share it with others. And we know we live in a needy world where people need Jesus desperately, and sometimes we feel so inadequate to share him. So today, show us one new way we might be able to demonstrate his love. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. A Menlo Park firefighter uh, who went to Oklahoma came and shared his experience with me. I think I reflected on that at one offering time. Uh, he was telling me when he went to that city, it was just like going to a great big church was the best way he could uh, describe it because the people everywhere he went were so filled with gratitude and affirmation to these firefighters that had come to town. Every night, small gifts were placed on their cots, a flower, a note. He, in fact, he had a little angel somebody gave him that he said he's going to wear the rest of his life on his uniform. And wherever they went to a restaurant, no one allowed them to pay for a meal. Everyone made them feel like heroes. We asked each other after we had talked a while, why does it take something like a crisis? to free us as human beings to express our gratitude and our encouragement, our affirmation, to let others know that they're cherished and valued and loved. Why should it be something so extraordinary that the firefighter was just shocked that it happened? Well, in today's text, I want you to understand that Jesus is giving us probably the most incredible gift of affirmation you and I have ever received in our lifetime. But sometimes we just pass it over because we've heard it so often. In this text, Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who created and rules the universe, is telling you and me we're his friends. That's an astounding statement, that we're a personal friend of the most important person in the universe. That should do great things for us, even if we're having a very bad day and maybe very much down on ourselves. That at the worst of times, we can be reminded by God's word that we're friends of Jesus. If you think about it, we don't make many real friends in this life. We have many acquaintances. But I often say, how many people do you know you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning and they'd be there for you? But knowing that Jesus is our friend forever can have such a dramatic impact upon us that it can help us do what is commanded in this, the rest of this text when he commands us, go and love others as I have loved you. That's something we've talked about, thought about, preached about for years. How do we do it? What would it look like if we did it? How do we love like Jesus? So we're going to study one more chapter in an answer to the question, what does it mean to love like Jesus? And we're titling the chapter Affirmation. And first... As you look at the text, calling us his friends, Jesus is giving us literally divine resources to love each other through affirmation. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I'm impressed that we view many commands in scripture as absolute and we take them very seriously. And yet this one about loving each other, and this time through affirmation, we don't view it as a command, we sort of, sort of uh, view it, well, that's something I can do or I, I don't do, but it really doesn't matter. This command is as important as any other command God ever gave us in Scripture. It has to do with finding fullness of life, of being totally under the umbrella of God's authority. Now, 
I'm sure you would agree with me, most of us this morning don't need any more information about our failures and inadequacies. Life seems to do a pretty good job giving us all the data we need about our dark side and our downside. But I would also say every one of us could benefit from hearing good things from other people about what they see in us. We can never really hear enough of it if it's sincere. And in this text, Jesus sees enough worth in us to call us his friends. In fact, he says, I see so much worth in you, I'll lay down my life for you, which he did. And I think that's astounding. So if you don't think you're worth very much, if you're wondering what your real value is in this life, you're worth the life of Jesus. And that should do something incredible in your life in terms of how you view yourself and others. Last week, Jay talked about a, a man here in our church family who wants Jesus to be seen in his relationships every day as he practices his profession. And I had to ask, well, what would it look like for Jesus to be seen in our relationships with people during the week? How do we take that from just being a wish, a theological statement, to something that we could measure, quantify, uh, as we practice it during the week? And it occurred to me, that one ingredient for Jesus to be seen in us would certainly include our consciously taking time to notice good things in people and then our taking time to tell them what we see. I know it would include building others up rather than tearing down with criticism. I know it would include seeing and thinking the best about others and their motives rather than the cynicism that dominates so much of our perspective these days and the negativism. Jesus taught us affirmation empowers people to change, to make new beginnings, to have hopes, to dream. Isn't it interesting that when our Lord began his ministry at his baptism, God affirmed his son saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it was from that foundation that Jesus marched out to do his ministry. And that's what he wants us to do with each other. There's a true story about a teacher in New York who honored each of her seniors in her high school uh, class. And she did so by giving them a ribbon which read, I appreciate you. Then she asked each student to uh, take three additional ribbons and to pass them along to somebody else they appreciated. Now keep in mind, this is a true story. One boy went to a junior executive in a nearby company and thanked him for the career guidance he had given him, and he gave him a ribbon, and he asked him to honor two other people with the other two ribbons. So later that day, the executive goes into his boss, who was noted for being somewhat a grouchy, cranky old guy, and he told him how much he appreciated his creative genius, looking past his grouchiness to something he could affirm. In a surprise response, the boss accepted the ribbon and also took the last ribbon to give away. And that night, he said this to his 14-year-old son, the grouchy boss. The most incredible thing happened to me today. One of my partners gave me a blue ribbon for being a creative genius. And he gave me an extra ribbon and asked me to find someone I appreciated. I started thinking about you. My days are really hectic, and when I come home, I don't pay a lot of attention to you. And sometimes I scream at you for not getting good enough grades in school and your room being a mess. But somehow tonight... I, I just want to let you know how grateful I am for you, for who you are. Besides your mother, you're the most important person in my life. You're a great kid, and I love you. 
Can you imagine what a father saying that to a 14-year-old son could mean for him? Well, this is what it meant to this little startled boy. He started to sob, and he looked up, and he said through his tears, Dad, I've been contemplating suicide because I didn't think anybody loved me, particularly you. Thank you for saving my life. Well, now, certainly giving the gift of affirmation this week probably will not produce that kind of dramatic result. But you know, in a sense, it always is life-saving. It's life-transfusing to tell somebody the good things you see in them, to just let them know how you view them and how you feel. How long has it been since you told somebody who's important to you what you really feel about them, a wife, a husband, a child, somebody at work? How long has it been since you verbalized what's there? They can't read your mind. I'm impressed that this gift of affirmation is absolutely a vital part of loving as Jesus loves. Many people visit our church. Our reputation is that we're a loving, caring family. And yet I often think in the surging crowds, many come here and they feel overwhelmed and they feel ignored and sometimes they feel shut out. In fact, did you know we get up to 300 visitors a week and not very many of them come back. And I often think, well, they're out of town, there's a lot of reasons, but I wonder if some come here because they had such high expectations that maybe there's one place they could be noticed and cared about, and they come here and they're just sort of passed by. We're in our groups, we talk to the people we know, we kind of are in a hurry to get to the car, and we forget one vital ministry that we're called upon to do here every week, and that is look for somebody and reach out to them and find something good to say. That can make all the difference to somebody who's come out of a world that does very little but tear people down, and they find something new here. They find the love of Jesus coming through you. That's what brings them back, not the, what I think are excellent worship services, not the music, not the sermon. Primarily, people will join a church because of people and how you treat them. And every one of you can have that ministry. In fact, every one of us are commanded to have that ministry, to, to let the love of Jesus take us beyond our own agendas and our focus for the morning and our pain and our problems and to just look for somebody God might want us to touch that day. And when people are touched by the love of Jesus, I know our church will continue to grow. I'm asked often, what is your passion for Menlo Press? Put into a sentence, my passion is that we'll become like Jesus. And that will mean we model his love in our relationships during the week. I don't think theology is very complicated. In fact, the longer I preach, the more I'm in ministry, I think the simpler I get. I think Jesus really was simple. And today is simple. He said, one of the things I want you to do, if you go out and love the world as I have loved you, is just go affirm people. That's very simple and yet very profound and profound in terms of its impact upon us. And so this leads us to a second truth. Giving affirmation is a discipline, but the prize is worth it. Our text says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. He says, I've let you in on the inner circle. You're not just acquaintances out there. If you belong to me, I'm sharing with you all my secrets. I want you to know me as I know you. I think... Personally, knowing I'm a friend of Jesus gives me the motivation to make affirming others in that same way a top priority. Taking time to notice good things in people and then telling them what we see is a discipline. Don't wait till you feel like it. Don't just do it when something is so obvious you have to say it. 
when you're willing to pay the price of noticing people and getting your mind off of yourselves, we get a tremendous reward. We get the gift of friends. Have you ever been sort of jealous of somebody who seems to have a lot of friends? I've concluded, as I've studied people with friends, that they usually do these things. They're very observant regarding good things in others, and they're quick to verbalize what they see. That's just a characteristic of somebody with friends. Secondly, they're very generous in giving of themselves and of their resources to others. They're not keepers, they're givers. They're not preoccupied with self. They're, they're sort of just like Jesus, always reaching out and looking at what somebody else needs. So here's a question. Probably most of you believe what I've said so far about affirmation, that it's a good thing. The question is, why don't we do more of it? Why in the church, particularly, is it so absent? Well, I could suggest lots of reasons. I think society is doing an absolute propaganda job in teaching us to be habitually critical. If you watch the media, basically most of our input today makes us experts at being uh, cynical of questioning people's motives. We're experts at seeing the negative, and we're so blind at seeing the good beyond the negative. And we become cynics. And I think that's a virus that's literally choking our society, and many of us are infected with it. And then perhaps there's a more common reason here in the church of why we're slow to affirm people. Did you know that we're not perfect, that none of us are here? Did you know that the day you become a Christian, you didn't stop being a sinner? The assumption many of us make is that when we became a Christian, at least other people should have stopped being sinners. They should have been perfect, and the problem is we're not. Some of us are cranky. Some of us are dull. Some of us, some of us are just plain boring. Some are very vicious in our opinion and, and words about others. The point is, it requires discipline to look past each other's weaknesses as Jesus does for us and to see what God sees in them, somebody worth dying for. It helps to remember when practicing this discipline of affirmation that God isn't finished with any of us yet. That's why we're here. Why are we surprised at each other's imperfections? Every person is in process. Jesus calls us to view each other with anticipation, with expectancy of what we're going to be someday. Meanwhile, taking each other by the arm with encouragement and affirmation and helping us make the journey and picking us each other up when we fail and when we disappoint each other. And I can tell you this, one thing is certain, noticing and verbalizing good in a person is a catalyst to keep growing. And being judgmental and critical, that only discourages people and stops the process. I was in a coffee shop Thursday. A young man had taken time to get off his bike, come in because he saw me in there, and he says, you know, I've been attending your church for a few months. You pastors make, are making a huge difference in my life. You're terrific. Thank you. Then he walked away. And that was just before the 5 o'clock service. And I came a, kind of levitated from Pete's over here to the 5 o'clock service, feeling, you know... I'm really glad to hear we're doing something in somebody's life. It's having an impact. And I'm glad somebody tells me because usually when I get stopped on the street and somebody says, could I see you for just a minute? <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's not affirmation. <laughs> we were in Catalina a few weeks ago and we frequented a, a restaurant. And there we established a relationship with this waitress. She, she wasn't pretty. 
physically. Uh, she probably isn't anybody you'd be initially attracted to, but we took an interest in her life beyond the restaurant. Every day we learned a little bit more about her and we affirmed how she was serving us so well. And then we were surprised. The day we left, right in front of the whole restaurant, she just literally embraced all of us. She was rather a large woman and she just put her arms around us. And basically what she said to us is, thank you for noticing me. Thank you for appreciating me. And now we have a friend. And I'm looking forward to seeing her the next time we go back. The point of the text, practice affirmation and God will bless you with life's greatest treasure, friends. Contrast with me the rewards you find of a lifestyle focused on accumulating, consuming, achieving, building up your nest egg versus a life devoted to friendships. I'll tell you this, and Jesus knew it. One fact is certain. Love things rather than people. And the older you get, you're going to end up all alone. And somebody has defined hell as being absolutely isolated. So I want to ask you, what's high on your priority list today? Accumulation and all that goes with it and the work and the preoccupation or friendships? How much affirmation did you give last week? Can you remember one time where you noticed something, something and took time to tell that person? I attended a memorial service recently led by Bob Owens and as he recounted this person's life, her story centered around people and self-giving. And I'm always impressed at memorial services. We seldom talk about what they achieved or what they accumulated. We talk about the friendships that they had made, the relationships that they had served in. So I want to sound a familiar note just as we close. In our text, Jesus says the difference between a servant and an, or an acquaintance and a friend is that we share our lives with a friend. And that's what ch the church is. I hope we're a group of brothers and sisters who are friends. And the small group ministry of this church exists so you can make some friends and encourage and affirm each other along life's journey so you won't be alone. I need to tell you, as I've told you a thousand times, if your exposure to this church is limited, limited to worship, it's not enough. I challenge you, get into some kind of small group, a Bible class, or just invite some friends to meet with you for prayer and Bible study on a regular basis. We need it. It's a one way we can fulfill this command of Jesus to love as he loves. Because we need to know and be known. That's what builds friendships. Gilbert Tennant, a Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia in 1750, said the following in a sermon. When you begin to love each other, we will discover in every one of our lives there's a can of worms, a skeleton in every closet. We can be willing to know up to that point, that's safe, but that's superficial. But we must love right on through that painful area. Fragile love will love up to a point, but it's not worth anything. But there are those who are willing to know and willing to be known to the point where they go crashing right on through the threshold of pain to where they really know and are known. That's what Jesus is talking about in this text. He invited his disciples, not as servants, somebody out there, but as inner circle friends, and I think they really knew Jesus. And Jesus really knew them. I invite you to practice the discipline of giving priority to relationships 
where you can know and be known, where you can affirm and be affirmed. That's what makes us human beings. That's what makes us disciples of Jesus. If you're ever going to know that depth of joy and peace that Jesus wants his followers to know, it's going to be related to lasting friendships. It takes a discipline to make them, but it's more than a thousand times worth the price. So as we go into a new week, the, uh, the message of the morning is be an affirmer. Begin with somebody in your family. Surprise them by sitting down and just saying something you've noticed. And if they respond, oh, you're doing that just because Walt said it, say, great, I am, but at least I'm doing it. <laughs> and then maybe look for a waitress, a co-worker, a neighbor, and try it out on somebody this week. I tried it out on somebody at Starbucks this morning. It just works. I just said, I'm so glad you got up early enough so I could have a cup of coffee at 7 o'clock. And it put a smile on her face, which she didn't have yet. I... <laughs> I would, I would like to think when people ask, what difference is it making in your life that you go to Menlo Press? You won't give a long th theological statement that nobody understands. I'd like to say, have you say, I'm learning to notice good things in others and telling them what I see because I'm learning how much Jesus loves me. Paul tells the Ephesians, if you need a biblical basis for that, and some of us do, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That's affirmation, that it may benefit those who listen. How do you do it? I, I give you this incredible thing that was sent to me last week. It was sent by somebody who loves Bob Munger, and most of you remember he was a staff member. If you're a visitor here, he's a Presbyterian pastor, a saint in our time. And this guy wanted to write this about Bob before he died. I called him Dr. Bob. He was a mentor to me, this pastor and professor. He's a physician of souls. Like Marcus Welby, he always made time for those who needed his care. Through his immortal little sermon, he made house calls to those who could never come to him to hearts where Christ called home. But his ministry far exceeded that classic parable. Dr. Bob was full of God's spirit, and to those who would hear it, he shared wisdom that flowed out of years of study and prayer. He taught me how to walk with God in a slow but steady pace. For me, Dr. Bob was an incarnation of grace, that quiet voice, those gentle eyes, that frail but stately frame. Three unmistakable qualities that call his three names to mind, Robert Boyd Munger, a mentor who taught me how to hunger after God. Isn't it wonderful that Bob got that before he died? Don't save up things for somebody's memorial service. Let's give it to them this week. And that's one chapter of what it might mean this week to love as Jesus loved.